studying church family, you're finding with me the book of John. John chapter 3, we'll begin to read in verse 1. And this morning I want to speak to you on this subject, being born again. Being born again, John chapter 3, and we'll begin to read in verse 1. I'll invite you to stand this morning, all those that can and are able in honor and in reverence for the reading of God's Word. When John chapter 3 began to read in verse 1, the Bible says these words. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher. Come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from or where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these things be? And Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and you do not know these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is, the Son of Man who is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light is coming to the world, and that men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit, oh God, I pray, will do only what you can do today, and that is convict lost people of their need for you. God, I pray to challenge the apathetic of their need to experience personal revival. God, it's my prayer that you'll turn this place today into a spiritual delivery room. For those who have never turned and received you, God, truly today, God, biblically, they'll believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. God, challenge, challenge culture today. Challenge man-made traditions today. And God, I pray you'll drive us to your word. Your spirit will speak to us from your word. And God, we'll leave changed and we'll leave different today because of how we respond to your invitation. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'll invite you to be seated, won't you please? Well, undoubtedly, one of the most well-known verses in all the Bible is uh, John 3.16. You see it on boards at ball games, and athletes put it on their face. Uh, it's probably one of the first verses that a child ever learns. Um, but there are 20 other verses in John 3 that are packed full of truth. But truthfully, the, you know, truly the, the main focus of the entire chapter is the, is the spiritual birth, being born again. And that word, uh, again, means from above, literally in the, the original language, to be born from above. I want you to notice four truths this morning about being born again. Number one, I want you to notice a single prerequisite. A single prerequisite. We're introduced to Nicodemus, verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Well, we see three th things about him. One, his parents named him Nicodemus. Uh, number two, he was part of the Pharisees. This was a religious sect of the Jews that had really developed uh, during that intertestamental period between the end of Malachi and the ministry of John the Baptist. During those 400 years of silence, the Pharisees and Sadducees had come along. They were very strict interpreters of the law, um, but they were also very sinful uh, as, as a whole. Uh, they, they were those who had added to the law. They, they rejected Christ wholly 
uh, together. And he was also part of the Sanhedrin. He was a ruler. This, there were 71 people, uh, the high priest and then 70 others that made up the Sanhedrin. This would have been the religious supreme court of Israel. Uh, religious cases were brought to them to give a ruling on how they interpreted the law. So you need to understand from the very beginning, don't miss this. This was a very religious man. This wasn't a guy that just stumbled out of a bar and found Jesus on the way. This was a guy who, who, had, who had forgotten most of the Old Testament than most of us will ever learn. He, he understood the law as it was written. He understood the first five books of the Bible as they were written. But he didn't know Jesus personally as Lord and Savior. And so he came to Jesus by night, the Bible says in verse number 2. A lot of scholars and preachers and Bible teachers have tried to interpret and to try to guess and try to make illustrations as to why he came at night. And one could make all kinds of inferences. But the Bible really doesn't say why he came at night. But I think, friend, it's, it's more important and it matters less that he came than who he came to. And that he came to Jesus. He has watched Jesus. He has seen Jesus. Who we is, in verse number 2, this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, uh, teacher, we know who we is. We don't really, is that him and his wife? Is that him and his family? Is that all the Pharisees? Is that the sin here? We don't know. But, there was, but he and someone else but believed that, that Jesus was God's son, that he was the Messiah. We know that you, are, that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs unless God is with him. So he, he understood that there's something different about Jesus. No man ever spake like this man. No man did the things that he did. And he says, we can't deny that. There's something different about you. And so he comes to make this statement to Jesus, uh, and, and it's just, it's absolutely uh, amazing, you know, that Jesus just walked right past his statement. He just actually, he walked right past it, and he got to the most important thing that needed to be in his life, and he just, he challenged him about, an, about a single prerequisite that had to exist in his life. Look at verse number three. Jesus answered and said unto him, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Well, that's not what he came to talk about. He, he came to tell him, hey, we know that there's something different about you. And Jesus pushed right past his statement, don't miss this, and he got to his single greatest need. Friend, this, listen, this was an individual who had been brought up in church, so to speak. His parents took him to church from the day that he was born. He knew all about the Scriptures. He had read Genesis 3.15. He had seen all of the types. He knew about the angel of the Lord. He knew all of these things. And here he was standing in front of Jesus Christ, and Jesus pushed back all, away from all the religious facade, and he got to him about the single prerequisite that it takes for a person to spend eternity in a place called heaven. And he makes three explicit statements, Jesus does. Look at verse 3 again. Most assuredly, there's, there's no room for doubt. Jesus says, most assuredly, I say to you you, you, you good religious man, and he was. He was a good man, but he was still lost. He says, I, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Friends, I don't care what lexicon you go to, what dictionary you try to find, the word cannot always means cannot. It's an impossibility. He says, you, you, you cannot enter the kingdom of God unless you're born again. Verse number 5. Jesus says, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. You have to have a... How many of you had a physical birth? Anybody? Yeah. Well, I mean, we're celebrating... Uh, I think uh, Bree, we're celebrating her birthday. I mean, it's Tylene. It's your birthday today. Happy birthday to you guys. And so we, we've all had a birthday. We've had... Listen, the, the man knows it's time to panic when the wife says, my water broke. Right? And so there's, there's, a water, there's a water birth. We, we all had that. Either you had naturally or by cesarean, you still had a water birth. You were in what God created, a placenta for nine months. It's where you were cared. It's where you grew. And then out you came. So Jesus says, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they first exist. Then listen to me, friend. You've got to have a second birth. A second birth. He says, unless he has, he's born of the Spirit, he cannot Enter the kingdom of God. He says, your religion won't do you any good. It doesn't matter how religious you are, that you're a Pharisee, you're a member of the Sanhedrin, you still must be born again. Another explicit statement, verse number seven, do not marvel 
His mind is spinning now. Jesus talked about some things that we're going to look at more deeply. The spiritual birth. What are you talking about, the spiritual birth? He says, don't marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. You must be born again. In Leviticus 16, Jesus tells a true story about a rich man and a poor man. And what separated them, friend, was not how much money they had really, not how they fared in life, but at the end of life, what really separated them is what they had done with Jesus Christ. And the poor man, he went to paradise. But the rich man who didn't have Jesus, the Bible says in Luke chapter 16, verse 23, and being in torments, he lifted his eyes in hell. What separate? He'd probably been a good person to those that were around him. But he passed on the single prerequisite that it takes to spend eternity in heaven and to experience the kingdom of God now and for all eternity, and that's to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior to be born again. You need to understand that this morning. I don't care. I care not how many churches you've been a member of, how many times you've been baptized, how long the Baptist legacy in your family is, whether your family raised you in church. None of that matters. What determines where you spend eternity is whether you have a spiritual birth that can only be found through Jesus Christ. The Bible says, friend, in Revelation chapter 20, at the end of the age, the thousand-year reign is over it is time to begin eternity with Jesus Christ. John says that he saw a, a great white throne in heaven. The books of life were open. Verse 13, the sea begins to give up their dead. Death and hell are cast into the lake of fire. And listen to verse 15. And anyone not found written in the book of life. Whose name's in the book of life? Those who've been born again. All those who are not found in the book of life were cast into the lake of fire. The Bible says there is one single prerequisite as to whether your sins are forgiven, my friend, and you spend eternity in a place called heaven, and it's what you do with Jesus Christ. You must be born again. So we see a single prerequisite. Second, I want you to notice a spiritual process. And that's what it is. It's, it's a spiritual process. Look at verse number 3. Jesus answered him. He, he speaks to his statement. He says, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Well, Nicodemus is a smart guy. He wouldn't have made it on the Sanhedrin if he hadn't been. He was sharp. He, he knew the Bible. But spiritually, he's dumb as a stump. Because 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, The natural man perceives not the things of God, neither can he know them for their foolishness to him, because they're spiritually discerned. The only way to understand spiritual truths is through the Holy Spirit. And he didn't have him yet. And so Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? But Jesus wasn't talking about a physical process. He was talking about a spiritual process. It's, it's a spiritual birth that only God can do. Now, God was the author of the physical process. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. Uh, it's, it's the last, it's the sixth day. God has created Adam and Eve, and, and, and now he's been created, and God said to both of them, uh, he says, you know, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish and over the sea and over the birds and over the air and over the cattle and over all the things that creep. So God created them in his image and in the image of God he created them, male and female, he created them. Now listen to verse 28. And then God said to Adam and Eve, because he's the author of the physical process, of physical birth. God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth, subdue it. Have dominion over the fish, over the sea, over the birds of the air, over every living thing that moves on the earth. And so God was the author of the physical process of procreation. Adam and Eve were to have a family. That was God's will for them. He initiated that. He was the author of it. But friend, listen, he's the author of the spiritual process as well. He's the author of the, the spiritual birth. Just a few verses over, it was after a sad time had happened. Adam and Eve have sinned because of the, the ministry of the serpent in their life. They responded to the lies of the enemy. They've now sinned. And in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God makes the very first mention of the spiritual birth. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed, and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. It's the first mention of the promised one that Jesus Christ would come, that God's going to now bypass the sin nature of mankind, and his sinless son would one day come and be 
our sin substitute. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 9 says that Jesus is the author of our salvation. So listen to me. If anybody could uh, with, with boldness and with clarity and with authority speak about the spiritual birth, it's the one who created it. It's Jesus Christ. And so he's given a sure, certain word to a religious but a lost man who needs to know how he can be saved. Look at verse number 3. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again. That word again in the Greek literally means from above. Now Nicodemus was thinking about, you know, my mama's short lady. How can I be born again? She's short, I'm tall. He says, no, it's not a physical process. It's a spiritual process. It's It's a spiritual birth. God says that only I can accomplish for you. Well, why the need? Why does one need to be spiritually born again? Stay with me. Because Romans chapter 5 verse 12 says, By one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. Won't you listen to me? As sweet and precious as Randy and Sherry's grandbaby is, won't you listen to me? Spiritually, he's dead. He's dead. He was, he was born just the way that you were. You were born spiritually dead. And my friend, there'll come a time in that precious little thing's life that if he continues to grow, he'll become accountable to God for his sin. He needs a Savior. We're all born spiritually dead. In order to experience spiritual life, we have to have a new birth. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse number 22, the Apostle Paul says, For as in Adam all die. When Adam and Eve sinned, listen, that spiritual death spread to all people. And so we're separated from God because of our spiritual death. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1, Paul says, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin. That means all those people, no matter how healthy they are, no matter how vibrant they feel, how much apple cider they drink, how many vitamins they take. Again, don't want to leave you oil sniffers out. How many essential oils you sniff every day. It doesn't matter. If you've never been born again spiritually, you're dead. And a dead man can't do anything. You, you must be born again. Isaiah 59, to your sin has separated you from God. And you need to understand, friend, it's, it's not just now. It's in all eternity. That lost people, because of their sin, are separated from God in a place called hell with no chance, no tomorrow, no turnaround. It's because they're spiritually dead. They're separated from God because of their sin. Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death. The check that you get to cash in the bank of eternity is lostness in a place called hell. Because of sin. But I love verse 16 of John chapter 3. For God so loved the world. In the midst of that need, in the midst of the lostness, in the midst of the separation, in the midst of the the need for spiritual life, God so loved the world. Friend, that's you that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever, that's you, believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And that word perish, listen, it doesn't mean that it's going to happen one day. It's an active verb. It means you're already perishing. You're already dead. He says, and it's a state that will just continue for all eternity. But God has stepped into the midst of that reality, and he offers an opportunity for a change. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 5 says this, but when the fullness of time had come... Now remember, God had promised us in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. He'd made Adam and Eve a promise and all mankind. You've allowed sin to come into the world because you ate from the tree of knowledge and good and evil in the midst of the garden I told you not to eat of. And now sin is passed to all men, but I've had a plan. I knew this was going to happen, but I've had a plan. And I'm going to send one who's going to come, who's going to be sinless. Listen to what the Bible says in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, not of a man. If He'd been born... Listen, if Jesus would have been Joseph's son, He'd have had a sin nature. He was born by Mary and the Holy Spirit of God. He had no sin nature. He was born under the law. Listen to verse number 5. 
to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. Friend, listen, a child can't be adopted if the child's never been born. And God sent Jesus, friend, to make a way that we could be born again and be received into his family. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. Powerful verses. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8 says, For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous person will one die, yet perhaps for a good man. Some would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus took God's penalty for sin upon himself. What is it? It's death. When Jesus hung on the cross, friend, listen, he experienced all the hell that you ought to experience for all eternity. He received it in his own body. And the the Bible says we have the opportunity now to turn from our sin and receive Christ's righteousness and thereby have the opportunity to be born again into the family of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 through 4 says this, For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture, that he was buried and that he rose again on the third day according to the Scriptures. And my friend, that's the gospel. That's the gospel. That's the good news. That Christ took your hell for you. And you can experience forgiveness if you'll only be born again. So there's a spiritual process. That's the why. That's why we have to be born again. That's why Jesus died in our place. But now listen, Nicodemus needs to know, perk up and stay with me. And you need to know. And there's others need to know, What's the process for me, though? How can I personally be born again? Nicodemus needs to know how he could be set free from the grip of religion and be born again into a life of righteousness. How is one born again? John chapter 6, verse 44, Jesus said, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. I want you to hear me this morning. We don't initiate salvation God does. God does. It was His plan. He's the author of it. And His Holy Spirit convicts us and draws us. Jesus says when He comes, He'll convict the world of sin, righteousness, judgment to come. Friend, I want you to listen. We can turn the lights off. We can get somebody to walk around with chains, put somebody in the back to scream, turn the heat up, and try to make it as close to hell as we can get it in here, but it won't make one person get saved. You don't get saved through emotion. You get saved through a surrender of your will to Christ's lordship. And so it's a ministry of the Holy Spirit to convict you and to draw you. God initiates that. But then we we have a response. Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 5. Jesus speaking to some individuals. Now listen, they were talking about some current events. Some things that had happened that everybody knew about. Some tragedies. Be like a bus wreck. You know, or a whole, whole orphanage called on fire. Something terrible. It was something that everybody would have known about and been talking about. And so those who were present at that season who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answered and said to them, Do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than the other Galileans because they suffered such things? He says, I tell you no. Listen, he says, but don't worry as much about what just happened. He said, I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you'll all likewise perish. What was Jesus saying? It's terrible how they died, but everybody's going to die. Everybody in here at some point is going to draw their last breath. He says, or, or, do you, or those 18 on whom the Tower of Siloam fell. What was that about? We don't know, but it meant something to them. There are 18 people, and the tower fell on them and crushed them, and it killed them. Jesus said, verse 4, Do you think that they were worse sinners than all the other men who dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you no, listen, but unless you repent, you'll all likewise perish. You want to know how to be saved? Jesus said the first step, the Holy Spirit draws you, then you've got to choose to turn from your sin. You come to a place of godly sorrow and say, God, I don't want this life anymore. I don't want any part of my life to be owned by anybody other than Jesus Christ. It's the process. Romans chapter 10, 
verses 9 through 10. The Apostle Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says that as we repent and turn to Christ, verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe, listen, in your heart, that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. What's the process of the spiritual birth? The Holy Spirit of God convicts the sinner of their lostness. The Word of God is shared, as I've shared with you this morning, God's plan of salvation. The penalty, the price that was paid, the mandate on our life that we have to choose to repent and by faith receive Jesus Christ to be Lord of our life. And the Bible says when we do that, friend, we're, we're born again. But we have to receive Christ to be Lord. Remember John chapter 18 and verse number 36, Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not of this world. Remember when he came on that Palm Sunday and everybody heralded him and they thought, man, all the disciples thought, man, this is awesome. They really like Jesus. Everybody loves him. But Jesus knew their hearts. One day they were saying, hail him, hail him. Seven days later they were saying, nail him, nail him. They wanted him to be their political king. Don't miss this. They wanted to keep living their lives the way they wanted to, but they wanted God to give them that freedom so that they could have political freedom from Rome. But they didn't want Jesus to be Lord of their heart. And he told me, he says, listen, my kingdom's not a kingdom of this world. It's a kingdom of hearts. When one repents and confesses Jesus, listen, to be Lord of their life, it's not just Lord of parts, it's Lord of every area of your life. He's, he sits on the throne of your heart. John chapter 5 and verse 40. Powerful verse, y'all, right down in the margin of your Bible. John chapter 5, verse 40. Why is it that some people will not be saved? Why is it that some people hear the gospel and scorn it and push away? Jesus says, but you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. Well, Nicodemus was willing to come to him. Is that what it means? No, friend, it doesn't mean come to his presence, but receive him to be Lord. My friend, when you come to Jesus, you surrender your life to his lordship. That's what it means to be a disciple, to be a learner and a follower. A learner and a follower. And so John chapter 10 and verse 13 says, Whosoever calls upon the name of the... What's he say, church? The Lord will be saved. I want you to listen to me. Hell's going to be full of people. Listen, they knew all the songs... They could tap their toes. They loved being part of a good church family. But they never would repent and trust Jesus to be Lord of their life. They never would repent and receive Christ to be Lord over every single area of their life. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 9. For by grace have you been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's a spiritual process. It's a spiritual process initiated by God, but you have responsibility to turn and receive Jesus to be Lord of your life. And when you do that, my friend, something spiritually happens and you are born again when the Spirit of God comes to live in your heart. You're a brand new creature with a brand new heart and a brand new start. So we've seen a single prerequisite. We've seen a spiritual process. Third, I want you to notice a saving profession. A saving profession. Nicodemus is still processing everything. This is all new to him. He's still processing everything. He, he, he really wants to know. Verse number four, how can a man be born when he's old? He still has, has questions. Verse number nine, Nicodemus answered and said to him, how can these things, I, I, I hear what you're saying, but how, how can these things really be? You know, how, how can one really be born? Born again. What, what is it that, what do I have to do? Verse number seven, Jesus says, do not marvel. You don't, don't sit and just try to figure it out. Just do it. Let me do it. Respond. And so, listen, he gives, he gives him an illustration that probably would have meant a, meant a whole lot more to him than it means to us now. Now, we're able to look back and it's like, oh, man, that's strong. But it really meant something to a student of the law. Now remember, the Pentateuch was the first five books of the Bible. Pen of five. Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. And Pharisees and Sadducees were students of the Bible. 
So Nicodemus would have known exactly what Jesus was going to say. Look at verse number 14 of John chapter 3. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Well, what is Jesus talking about? We've got to go back to the book of Numbers, chapter 21, verses 4 through 9. And the nation of Israel was traveling through the wilderness. Stay with me, listen. But as they were going, the Bible says they began to get discouraged and they started getting grumpy, the Bible says, because of the way. Verse 4, Numbers 21. It was, it was maybe a direction they didn't want to walk. Were there too many rocks on the road? If it was like the average church, it was too hot or too cold. You know, you can't please everybody. And so they didn't, you know, did we vote on this? And so they became discouraged because of the way. Verse 5 says, and then they spoke against God and Moses. It says, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there's no food, there's no water. Now listen to this part. And our soul loathes this worthless bread. What were they talking about? They were talking about manna. Manna was something that God gave the nation of Israel. It is a type of Christ. But, it, but it, was, it, was, it was physical, it was tangible then. It came every day, except on the Sabbath, the day before they had to gather twice as much. It was above the ground, it never touched the ground, it lay on the dew, and they could make it into bread. It was something they could eat. And they, it, was, it was God's provision. But it was a type of Christ. John chapter 6, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I'm the bread that came down. And so what they were saying, don't miss this, when they spoke against the manna, they were talking about Jesus. They said, we loathe Jesus. We loathe the way. We're tired of this way. And we loathe, well, God had enough, verse 6. So God sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people. I've always thought what would happen on Sunday morning if God sent snakes to bite all the complainers in church. Some of you just lifted your feet off the ground right then. Can you imagine? I mean, we have people laid out everywhere in the local church. Everywhere somebody had grumbled and griped, listen, God sent a snake and it bit them, but it just didn't bite them, friend. They were dying. They were dying because of their sin. And Moses moved to compassion, who with our Sunday school text, Romans 12, he loved his neighbor. They had despitefully used him. He wanted to bless those who had cursed him. He was trying to do good. So he went and interceded for the people. And he says, God, we've sinned. We've spoken against the Lord and against what the people said this. And so Moses begins to pray for the people. And in verse number 8, listen, the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent, put it on a pole, and it shall be whoever, whoever was bitten. When he looks at the pole, he'll live. He says, I want you to take, take, take fashion a piece of bronze to, to look like what has brought death and my judgment of death, and to lift it up. He said, and whoever looks, the remedy, says if you want to be cured from the bite of sin, you've got to look to the pole, and then you'll live. Well, Nicodemus knew that story. And so Jesus said, listen, don't, don't marvel. He says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up on the cross. He says, and whoever believes in him, should not perish, but have everlasting life. Listen, for those people in the camp, there were probably some smirkers, some arm folders. Snake bit and dying. And Moses is going through the camp saying, look and live! God says, look at the pole and you'll live! And so there's nothing to that. Just another, another dumb thing God says we have to do. But the Bible says, listen to me, my friend, those who turn from their sin and who look by faith and chose to look, they lived. And I'm telling you on the authority of God's Word, when you look from your sin and repentance in saving faith to Jesus Christ, what He accomplished on the cross for you, the Bible says miraculously, spiritually, you're born again into a new creature. But you've got to choose. No one can make you. And I'm telling you, my friend, hell's going to be full of people who knew they should look, but they never would look. They never would. They wouldn't let go of their pride. They wouldn't let go of parts of their life. They held on. you got to choose to look. And you have to choose to live. It's, it's, a, it's a saving profession. You must choose to look by faith and profess. But fourth, I want you to notice this this morning. Stay with me. Stay with me. Don't miss this. I want you to notice a serious problem. 
So what could be a problem with John 3? I mean, look and live. Man, that's awesome. I'm ready to believe. Are you? Are you? Don't you know it's a serious problem? Look at verse number 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son in the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He, listen, he who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed on the name of the only begotten Son of God. We've got a problem in the church today, and I don't mean Greenwood, but maybe it is in Greenwood. But there's a problem in the church today. Words that God gave specific meanings to, we've changed the definition to. And, you know, I'll give you an example. One of those words is no. And you begin to talk to somebody, you say, you ever, oh, I know God. I know God. I know him. You, oh, I met God years ago. When God found me, I, I know God. Talk to all kinds of religious people, listen to me, that the testimony, the fruit hanging on the tree of their life, friend, is not the fruit of the Spirit. The words from their mouth, and the lived-out testimony of their life is not a life that demonstrates that they've been born again. But they say that they know God. When Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23, Jesus spoke about these individuals. Now listen, we're talking about the word know right here. Jesus says in verse number 20, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven, many will say in that day, what we read in Revelation chapter 20, at the great white throne, when all of hell's turned upside down like a garbage can and people stand in line to receive their just recompense. The Bible says, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Have we not cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name? For ours it would be, was I not a member of Greenwood Baptist Church? I gave, I loved the music, I attended, I was an Awana listener, I went to Sunday school, there wasn't one food fellowship I ever missed, I was there, I was a member of the church, God, I know you, I know you, but listen to what he says in verse number 23, Jesus says, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. You knew me, but I didn't know you. Depart from me, you work of iniquity. He says, you, you, you one who practices lawlessness. How could they know God, but God don't know them? They knew him right up here, but they never, they never knew him here. You see, most people in the South are about 18 inches from salvation. They believe Jesus died on the cross, that he's God's son, and that he rose from the grave, but they've never believed with their heart, friend, unto righteousness. God doesn't know them. Why? Isaiah 59, 2. Your sin separates you from God. It's not a matter of being religious. Well, what does no have to do with, with this text? Well, you know, Galatians chapter 4 continues to speak about no. Paul, Paul says in Galatians chapter 4, in verse number 9, but now after you have known God, or rather known by God. So all that just to say, listen, God defines what words mean. And we can try to redefine them, but listen, that doesn't mean that they're going to be effective and valid. So that's the word no. What does that have to do with our text? Well, the text we continue to see is believe. Believe. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him. We've already established, I've said to you very boldly, but truthfully, hell's going to be full of people who believed in God, who believed in Jesus. Verse number 18 says, He who believes in Him is not condemned. Well, does that just mean believe? Just a mental assent? Romans chapter 10, verse 10. You ought to write that down in the margin of your Bible by John three sixteen. Romans 10 and verse 10. Listen to what the Bible says. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness. Not the head. Friend, I'll dare say you'll meet anybody who grew up in East Tennessee or Western North Carolina that doesn't believe that Jesus is God's Son. It was established in us. We said the Pledge of Allegiance. 
one nation under God. We're taught to be good God-fearing people. We know how to say it with stained glass voice to get a little more seriousness to it. But that's not what the Bible's speaking of. A belief that leads to salvation is not in the head. It's one that, that roots itself in surrender in the heart. Repentance takes it. Remember, John 6, 44, the Spirit draws. We've got to choose to repent and turn toward the call of the Holy Spirit. Why? Listen, friend, everybody's headed toward hell. You want to go to heaven? you got to turn around. The Spirit calls and invites and says, don't, don't go to hell. I love you. My son died for you. Turn from sin and be saved. Then you've got to make a choice. But when you choose, friend, then you've got to decide what you're going to do with Jesus Christ. And you don't get to write the terms. He does. And right here in the book of Romans, chapter 10, verse 10, the Bible says you don't believe on Jesus with your head. Do you get that this morning? Do part of you get it? You need to understand, look at me. When the Bible says, he who believes in Jesus, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, who is there, believes in him. It's not belief here. It's to believe with your heart unto righteousness. You're believing that Jesus is God's son, king of kings, Lord of lords, and I'm bringing my life under his captivity. That's what it means to believe. Not here, but here. And so... Jesus continues to speak in some verses that we really don't always read through. Listen to verse number 18. Now I'm going to close. Stay with me. He who believes in him, that's Jesus. And we have to go by the, the biblical definition of belief. That is to believe with our heart. We bring all of our life under his captivity. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already. He who does not believe with his heart and bring their life under his captivity, is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen to verse 19. This is the condemnation, that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. I don't see if I can give you an illustration that will help you with this. But just notice in verse number 20 before I do, when the Bible says, for everyone practicing evil, it's not talking about once. It, the Greek verb literally means it's habitually. It's the present continuous choice of their life to keep living sinfully. All right. Let's say two men decide they're going to rob a, a storefront, a Main Street store one night. It's one of those that's got big glass windows. You can see in during the day. You know, you like to go window shopping. So you're just walking by. They say, you know what? There's some stuff in there we'd like to steal. So they wait till about 2 in the morning, and they jimmy the lock, and they go inside, and they begin to look around. They've got their sacks, and they're ready to steal all the goods and fill it up. Well, thief number one looks at thief number two, and he says, hey, um, you got the flashlights? He says, no, I forgot them. Well, thief number two is not too smart. And so thief number one, he's groping around in the darkness. Stay with me. And he's filling his sack with all the wares. He's stealing. And so thief number two, he's not too sharp. He goes over and finds a light switch and turns on the light. And thief number one says, turn the light off. Do you want to get caught? He says, what do what you do? Turn the light off. Well, does he not believe in the light? Well, sure he believes in the light. He can't argue with light. Listen. The light came on. He believes that there was light in the room. That's why he asked for it to be turned off. Why did he want the light turned off? Listen, because he didn't want anything to impede the way that he chose that he was going to live, and it's to rob that store. Why will people be in hell that believed in Jesus but never submitted themselves to Christ's lordship? It's not that they deny that Jesus is God's Son and King of kings and Lord of lords. They would not bring their life under the captivity of the righteous light of Christ because they didn't want to stop living the way they'd been living. So hell's going to be full of people that believed in Jesus. But praise be to God, friend, hell won't have one person in it that believes on Jesus.
That's the question to ask today, my friend. You know, are you one of these individuals in the South that's walking around partially lit? That's where most people are in the church. Oh, they, they want partial light. Don't you know that one thief? Listen, he wanted the flashlight. He wanted some light, but not just total light. The church is full of people like that. They want just enough of the light of Christ so they don't fall into hell when they die one day. But they don't want the light to shine into every part of their life because nothing, nothing's going to change the way they've chosen that they're going to live. And that's not lordship, my friend. It's not lordship. Listen to what Jesus said. Well, this is the condemnation that light is coming to the world, that men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Because for everyone practicing evil hates the light. And doesn't come to the light lest their deeds should be exposed. And the question to ask this morning is this, you know, when you... When you, you profess Jesus to be Lord of your life, it's a good question to ask, friend, a good, a good audit. Listen to me. When I, when I prayed to receive Jesus, did you bring all your life under the authority of Christ's Lordship when you believed, listen, or just enough of your life so that you wouldn't fall into hell one day? Jesus defines what believe means. 2 Corinthians 5, 10, 17 says, Therefore, if any man is in Christ... He is a new creation. He's a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. And my friend, I'm telling you, when you truly believe in Jesus Christ, you're going to be a brand new person. You don't have to try to be. You're born again. John 3, 7, you must be born again. Now listen to me very carefully. I want you to do something. Everybody listen. I want you to fold your Bible where it lays up on your lap. Just fold it up. I want you either to clasp your hands or lay them in your lap and bow your head humbly. Won't you do that? No one's moving around. Well, Father God, I pray if there's one in our midst that's lost in their sin. God, I pray your precious Holy Spirit, oh, God will do what only he can do. And God, that's to show them how lost they are today. God, where they're going to spend eternity if they don't turn from all the sin that's in their life and bring their life totally under the light of your righteousness and allow you to be Lord over them. God, you love them. You died for them. You took their hell in, on your own body, suffered, bled, and died. You rose from the grave. You're in heaven waiting to receive them with open arms and to give them a brand new life if they'll only turn and believe on you today. So God, I pray you'll show those who need to be saved that they need to. And then give them boldness now to confess you as Lord of their life. You said whoever calls upon you will be saved. I pray they'll do that in a simple prayer of faith right now where they sit just like this. God, forgive me a sinner. Jesus, I believe you died for me. I believe you rose again. I turn from all my sin, all of it. That means every room that's in the house of my life, I'm bringing to you. And I want you to be Lord over all of me, not part of me, but all of me. And I don't even know what all that means right now. But I'm bringing my life under the captivity of your lordship. I believe on you to be Lord of my life. Forgive me, save me. Now grow me into the man or woman you want me to be. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Did you pray that? Did you mean that with all your heart? For the first time ever, I don't feel you may have been more religious than Nicodemus. You prayed that prayer years ago, but you know you never really meant it you did this morning for the first time i'm going to ask you to be bold and when they begin to sing here in a minute just to make your way to the front you say i know i'm saved who do you know that's not who do you know that made some profession years ago friend but they've never shown any evidence of spiritual life whatsoever they have no appetite for the things of god they're holding on they're holding on because they believe in god would you not be bold to share god's word with them from john 3 
challenge them, pray for them, because, friend, this is the reality you need to get a grip on. Every friend, every loved one, every neighbor you know, every person who dies without Jesus Christ burns in a place called hell. I don't care how good they are or how kind they are. God, break our hearts over the reality of hell point that it moves us to action these days. Father, speak to your church. Challenge us. Strip away apathy and indifference. God, I pray we'll be hot-hearted in these days for why you came. You came to seek and to save that which is lost. God, I pray your church will make themselves available in these days as you live your life through us to do the same, to take the gospel, the good news to those who need to hear it, and to share, God, from your word, not culture, not man-made tradition, what it really biblically means to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Burden us over lostness. God, help us to be bold now, to respond to each individual will that you speak to our hearts today. It's in Christ's name we pray.